Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and brotherly hello. Welcome to LFB Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a tremendous podcast for you today as my good buddy from the Vegas Hats and Information Network, Tim Murray, is going to be dropping by. He does the show, The Nightcap. You're able to hear that 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific, 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. So we are going to be having a great chat there about the Washington Nationals as he lived for many years out there in Washington, D.C. Going to get his thoughts on the season in general. Take a look at some of these matchups, including the big series between the Dodgers and the Padres. So going to have a good time in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we touch them off first things first love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast and you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in my Twitter timeline at your squirty one keep in mind the letters EM they mean does not matter otherwise find an Apple podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but what we did get was some very entertaining, mostly day baseball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Being someone who grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan, I have no idea how this has happened, but the Brewers are 11 and 7 as they take down the Padres by a count of 42. Another under for the Milwaukee Brewers. They were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Jace Peterson, no relation, second home run of the season, and Omir Nervias is able to get his third of the campaign. Both of those came off the bullpen, which for the Padres was the best in the National League coming into this one, but it was Keon Kila who winds up giving up both of those home runs as the Nelson Lament got the start of this one. He was not long for this game, though. He wound up pitching 29 pitches, looked very good, got four punch outs, only gave up one hit. Craig Stammen from there winds up giving the team five outs. He gave up a run in the process. Kayla winds up giving up both of those home runs, and then yet, Pierce Johnson, Emilio Pagan, Drew Pomerantz, along with Austin Adams, both give the team a solid ending out of the bullpen, but for the Padres, they just are not driving men in right now. They're actually doing a good job of reaching base, but 1-12 with runners in scoring position, 11 men left on base, Adrian Hauser, 
I wouldn't call this the world's greatest starter. He gives up two runs over the course of four and a third innings, but how about what you got out of the bullpen? Brad Boxberger came in and did not light the game on fire, although he gave up two walks. Devin Williams, the scoreless inning. Brent Suter, four outs without giving up a run. J.P. Frierson came in for a couple outs, and then you had Josh Hader being able to close the door. He winds up getting the save. The Arizona Diamondbacks and Cincinnati Reds wind up dusting off their game that was suspended earlier in the week as it was the Arizona Diamondbacks winning that game by a count of 5-4. to four. Had no scoring after the game wound up resuming, but in the game of which was actually played on this day, you wound up having the Arizona Diamondbacks and Cincinnati Reds go to extras and Boy, if you wound up having the Cincinnati Reds or the under, this was a terrible beat. As the Arizona Diamondbacks enter into the ninth inning of this one, down 3-0. to zero. They played three runs in the ninth, and then they go to extras, and they played five in the tenth. Oh my goodness gracious, and they get the win 8-5. to five. Gosh, I mean, the Reds bullpen failed them at just the wrong time. For Cincinnati, a tremendous turn here from Tyler Bolly. Six and two-thirds innings, nine punch outs. He allows two hits. He did his job. TJ Antone. He winds up getting four outs. He does his job. Amir Garrett throws lighter fluid on the game, giving up three runs while recording two outs. Carson Fulmer gets the game to extras. And then Ciudad Perez and Jose De Leon give up a combined five runs and extras. Meanwhile, for the Reds, they go four of seven with runners in scoring position for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Not the start they were necessarily hoping for from Merrill Kelly, but it wasn't terrible. Gives up three runs over the course of five innings. From there, you have both Smiths come in. Riley Smith and Caleb Smith. They combine three scoreless innings out of them. Taylor Clark gives up two runs, one of which was earned in two innings. But I mean, in this one, Josh Van Meter, the former Red Wides of going deep off of Amir Garrett and the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that had been completely inept on offense, winds up getting the job done, so that was entertaining. Speaking of teams completely inept on offense, we turn our attention to the New York Yankees, who lose by a count of 4-1 to for the Atlanta Braves. This is just absolutely remarkable from the Yankees, as they have now scored four runs or fewer, and we're counting it up right now, eight straight games. This is for a Yankees team that currently has Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Santin, DJ LeMayu, and Aaron Hicks all in the fold. For Aaron Hicks, Mike Ford, Glaber Torres, Runet Ordor, Giancarlo Stanton, and Clint Frazier. They all leave this game hitting below a buck 87. So that is not good. For the Yankees, Corey Kluber, well, he wasn't long for this game because he wound up walking a bunch of guys. Four walks given up in four and two-thirds innings. He allows two runs. Luis Cecil was hurt by DJ LeMayu. Fielding error in two innings. Gives up an under run. And then you wind up having out the bullpen. Brooks Krisky give up a run. And for the Atlanta Braves, Ian Anderson, I wouldn't say that this was necessarily his greatest performance. He walked four and six and two-thirds innings, but didn't give up a single run. A.J. Minter, he's able to get the team four outs. And Will Smith gets jiggy with it in the ninth, but he winds up being able to get the job done. Gives up one run in the process. For the Braves, they go 0 of 8 with men in scoring position. Austin Riley gets his first home run of the campaign, and they get a win without Ronald Acuna Jr. in the fold, so that was solid. You wind up seeing a double dip on Wednesday as well. The Pirates and the Detroit Tigers in battle. In Game 2, it was the Pirates that wound up losing by a count of 5-2. to They were able to take Game 1, but in Game 2, it was Mr. Miguel Yajur who winds up getting the start. He winds up giving up four runs over the course of four and a third innings, giving up two home runs. Going deep for the Tigres was Mr. Nico Goodrum, his second of the campaign, and Jonathan Scope gets his first, and it was the debut of Spencer Turnbull for the season, and he looked good. Gave up one run over the course of five innings. He's much better than his 7-23 and career record would indicate coming into this one. You wind up having Gregory Soto give you a scoreless setting, and Brian Garcia gives up around the bullpen as the Tigers right now lead the majors with regards to bullpen ERA for the negative, but in this one, Philip Evans was able to give the Pirates a home run his fourth of the season, and that was really the lone sign of brightness that you had in this one, but in game one, it was the Pirates that was able to get that 3-2 win as Tyler Anderson continuing to look solid for the team. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Kyle Crick, along with Richard Rodriguez, come in for a scoreless inning. Pirates' bullpen has been pretty solid. Meanwhile, for the Tigres, you wind up having Michael Fulmer look a little bit more like the Michael Fulmer that we're used to. Four innings pitch, he gives up three runs off, which were in Tyreek Scooble in a long relief appearance. Three scoreless innings, so that was solid, but for the Detroit Tigers, just not a lot doing on offense. They wind up getting just three hits in this one, so two teams that we figure to be towards the bottom of 
the respective Central Divisions were able to split. You wound up having the Blue Jays be able to get a win over the Red Hot Boston Red Sox by a count of 6-3. By the way, the Red Sox and the Seattle Mariners, along with the A's, we're going to be getting to in a second, right now lead the American League, but for the Toronto Blue Jays, they were able to go 4-15 of with men in scoring position, 11 men left on base, and they were able to overcome a Kevon Biggio throwing error, thanks to the fact that they were able to get some great bullpen pitching in this one. Trent Thornton wound up getting the start, but he wasn't long for the game. He wound up pitching two scoreless innings. Tommy Malone gives up two runs in the process. He winds up going two and a third innings, but Ryan Baruki gives you two scoreless innings. David Phelps was able to come in. He was able to give you a little bit of something. You then wind up having Rafael Dolis give up a run out of the bullpen, but then from there, Anthony Castro, Tim Mazza, they were able to do their job. And for the Boston Red Sox, Garrett Richards continuing to have a rough go of it this year. He's probably the worst starter on this team at this point. 648 ERA, four runs to give it up in four two-thirds innings. And then from there, bullpen wasn't necessarily too bad. You wind up having Josh Taylor give up two runs. He has been awful, but Austin Bryce, Phillips Valdez, and Mr. Hirokazu Sawamura were able to do a solid job being able to bridge together three and a third innings of scoreless baseball. You didn't have much scoreless baseball out there in the city of Chicago as the Cubs take it to the New York Metropolitans 16-4. This is the same Cubs team that for a week stretch last week wound up having 11 runs in a seven-day span. As in this one, it was only one home run that was provided, but that was off the bat of Javi Baez, his fifth of the campaign. For Zach Davies, not a great start by any stretch of the imagination. He gives up two runs over the course of four innings, and then Rex Brothers gives up two runs out of the bullpen. But Alec Mills, he comes in for three scoreless innings out of the pen. Shelby Miller made an appearance, and he didn't give up a run. Congratulations on him lowering his ERA to 31.50. So there is that. And for the Mets, I mean, this was just terrible. David Peterson, thank goodness he's not related. Six runs given up in three and a third innings. Now, only three of which were earned. You wound up having... A myriad of errors in this one. J.D. Davis, Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor, James McCann. All committed errors in this one as Robbie Gazelman. You know it's bad when he's coming into the game. He gives up four runs, two of which weren't. You then have Trevor Hildenberg give up four runs while committing four outs. It got so bad that Luis Guillorme winds up pitching an inning for the team. He gave up two runs in the process and for the Cubs... 13 hits in this one, so they were certainly able to take it to the poor Metropolitans, the poor Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, I have absolutely no bullpen pitching whatsoever. They lose the Kansas City Royals by a count of 9-8. Salvador Perez, the hero once again. That is now three game-winning slash walk-off hits for him in a seven-day span. This guy is on fire, and the Tampa Bay Rays, their offense was able to catch a little bit of fire as well. Brandon Lau, he was able to get loud. He was able to get a third home on the campaign that came off of Jacob Junis, who gives up five runs and five innings. Bullpen from there, it was consistent. Scott Barlow, along with Josh Stamount and Jake Brands, all give up one run while pitching between one and one and two-thirds innings, but for the Royals, the offense was able to get going. Ore Soler is second home run in the campaign. That came off of Michael Waka Waka Waka. You also had Hunter Dozier get his first home run off of Mr. Michael Waka Waka Waka. And then Carlos Santana was able to get his fourth home run in the campaign. And for Mr. Waka, I always use a dying Pac-Man voice when announcing a five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs. Jeffrey Springs comes in and boy, he didn't necessarily spring a good appearance in this one. Three runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. And then Ryan Thompson gives up a run while committing five outs. And then Diego Castillo gives up in the ninth inning. So that was not necessarily too ideal for both teams. They dead over in this one and the Royals are able to get the job done. The Rangers were able to get the job done and they wind up taking two of three from the LA Angels. Seven to four the final. For the Angels, Jose Quintana wound up entering into this game in terrible form. Now he did walk four, but he only gave up one run. So the 16-20 ERA drops to a nine. The bullpen of the Angels, which I had had my concerns with, and it was looking pretty good for them recently, did not wind up going through in this one. Now Chris Rodriguez, two and a third innings, he gives up one run, that's not bad. Mike Myers, he gives up three runs and he got as many outs as I did. That's not great. And then Junior Guerra gives up two runs in an inning out of the bullpen. And for the Angels, they wind up getting all their runs on solo home runs. Shoei Otani, Mike Trout, Jose Iglesias, along with Justin Upton, all get home runs. Upton is fourth. Iglesias is first. Trout is sixth. 
Shohei Otani is fifth. Mike Fultonavich, he winds up giving up three of them in six innings. And then from there, you wind up having Ian Kennedy come out of the bullpen. He gives up a home run, but Jolie Rodriguez along John King were able to do their part in the bullpen. And for the Texas Rangers, they were able to put up a four spot in the eighth, a two spot in the ninth. And for the Angels, as home favorites, they are now six and one to the over. So you do want to be taking note of that as Nate Lowe was able to get his fifth home run in the campaign. And then also going deep for the Texas Rangers, Adolius Garcia. He's actually been solid. His third home run in the campaign. So you're able to get a little bit of something there. And by the way, the Rangers averaging right around 5.4-ish runs per game on the road and 2.1 at home, which I still find to be very hilarious. Speaking of runs, the Oakland A's wound up putting up a bunch of them against the Minnesota Twins. 13 to 12, the final in 10 innings. The Oakland A's wind up getting up in this one by a count of 7 to 3. They then give up three spots in the 5th and 6th inning. They rally for two in the 6th. They wind up plating one in the ninth of four extra innings. The Minnesota Twins get two in the tenth, and the Oakland A's get three in the tenth. This was absolutely ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen, as the Minnesota Twins, boy, they have not looked sharp coming off their COVID pause, but Nelson Cruz is looking good. His fifth and sixth of the season, he winds up taking Frankie Montas deep twice in this one. Josh Donaldson also took Montas deep. His first, and Byron Buxton in the tenth that he got a home run off of Lou Trevino, his sixth, for Montas. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned over the course of four innings. Submergio Romo tried to submerge this game. Now as a 12.79 ERA, he gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. You had Lou Trevino then give up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of five outs. But for the Oakland A's, they were able to rally with a pair of home runs off the bat of Matt Olson. He winds up taking Kenta Maeda deep twice for his fifth and sixth of the season. And then Sam Brown was able to take Kenta Maeda deep as well for his third. As for Kenta Maeda... He put up a somehow, somehow a worse start than our good buddy, Mr. Montas. He goes three innings, gives up seven runs, all of which were Ty Duffy and Randy Dominic gave you a scoreless inning, but Alex Colomay, boy, he's not having a good year, and boy, he's not having good luck. He gives up four runs, one of which were earned in five outs, as he was hurt by Luis Arias there, and then you also had another error committed out there in the field as well, as it was Taylor Rogers who was able to be the guy that stemmed the tide for the team. He winds up getting seven outs without giving up a run on the bullpen, but that was a wild and crazy one, and for the Oakland A's, they have now won, I kid you not, 11 straight games. So, I mean, it's just absolutely wild what we're seeing. It's also wild to see a team, not at Mr. Carlos Martinez, but that's what we saw from the Nationals. They get a 1-0 win. Lone run game in the second inning against Washington Nationals. As the Nationals got an RBI off the bat of Alex Avila and Max Scherzer looked like vintage Max Scherzer. Nine punch-outs, gives up four hits over the course of six innings. Tanner Rainey, Danny Hudson, Brad Ann, they're able to come in, they're able to close the door, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, talk about nothing doing for this team. They leave nine men on base. Carlos Martinez actually a very good start. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. I can call him a tough luck loser on that. Ryan Ellsley, along with Alex Reyes, they come in for a scoreless inning, but the St. Louis Cardinals completely inept on offense on this one, and that's why they wind up losing that game. And speaking of being able to lose a game, that's what the San Francisco Giants did against the Philadelphia Phillies. As the Phillies walk it off in the ninth, 6-5 to five the final in this one. Anthony DiScalfani was not long for this game. He gives up three runs over the course of four innings. Then from there, you have Caleb Barger along with Matt Whistler give you scoreless innings. But then it was the untrustworthiness of Camilio Doval, who winds up giving up a run out of the bullpen, and Wani Peralta gives up the game-winning hit. For the San Francisco Giants, the offense is all of a sudden starting to turn it on. This is a team that they've now played back-to-back overs after they were on a nice little understreak. Darren Ruff goes deep in this one. That is his third of the campaign. That winds up coming off of Brandon Kitzler. Kitzler comes over from the Miami Marlins. Not a good showing in this one. Gives up three runs over the course of a third of an inning. Zach Eflin, he was Eflin good. Now, he did give up seven hits in six innings, but only one run, so he was able to do his part. Jojo Romero gives up an unearned run in the bullpen, and Hector Neris winds up getting the win as the Phillies wind up leaving 11 men on base, but they were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Bryce Harper is able to go deep for his fourth home run of the season, and then you were able to get something out of Mickey Monick, his first home run, I believe, of his career. So good on him for that. The Miami Marlins, they hold down the fort against the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 3-0. to zero. For Baltimore, they actually wind up getting some good bullpen pitching. Cole Solzer is back. He, Trey Lankins, both able to give you one and a third inning scoreless. Dylan Tate came in for the other two outs, but for Bruce Zimmerman, he gives up three runs over the course of four, and 
two-thirds innings. And for the Miami Marlins, all they needed to do was give Trevor Rogers one run because he winds up going seven scoreless innings. Dylan Floro, Yimi Garcia, they send the tie from there. Both guys used 10 pitches or fewer, so they might be able to come back in today's game. And for the Miami Marlins, they were able to do a solid job. They are able to get the job done there all of a sudden, eight and nine. So they're looking for a little bit of a renaissance. And the Houston Astros, well, they're looking to get something going as well. They wind up losing to the Colorado Rockies by kind of six to three for the Astros. Jose Urlikidi, not a great start. Four runs given up over the course of five innings. Brandon Belak gives up two runs at two innings. And then you wind up getting a solid inning out of Peter Solomon. I believe that this was his first career appearance for the Houston Astros. You wind up getting a Yoli Gurriel home run. That is his second of the campaign as out in this one was Jose Altuve. Seems like he's still going through the COVID protocol. And for the Colorado Rockies, Austin Gombra, very good start. Two runs given up in six innings. Daniel Berg gives up a run in the bullpen, but the Colorado Rockies seem to be showing some signs of life. Four of eight with runners in scoring position as getting his first home run of the campaign in support of all this was Mr. Jonathan Daza. So they were able to get that going. And if you're taking a look for the season at where overs and unders stand because coming into the day on Wednesday, unders were hitting at about a 52.8-ish percent clip. Depending on your closing numbers, it was right in that neighborhood. And as we know, underdogs have been doing very well. Well, unders are now at a 53.2% clip. Unders, 126 at 111 for the season. These numbers via covers.com. But if you're taking a look at favorites, they are still struggling. Including the LA Dodgers, 130 at 130. So if you put the Dodgers into the fold, I believe that they are now 14 and 4. If you're betting on favorites, not name the LA Dodgers, they are now 116 and 126. So if you've been taking favorites, not only have you been losing, you've been getting absolutely slaughtered. Now, we're not seeing any sort of a difference whatsoever between home and road. Home teams are 132 and 131 straight up. So we're not necessarily seeing much of anything there. And if you're looking at against the spread trends, so this is to cover the one and a half runs. Favorites are covering at a 37.3% clip, including home favorites, 352 It's absolutely ridiculous as home underdogs have actually been worse than road underdogs. If you're getting the run and half with a home underdog, they are 60 and 41 against the spread. That's just the run line of a run and half. Meanwhile, teams that are getting the run and half away from home, 105 and 57. So that's what we're all seeing in baseball right now. And a man that does a great job of watching this great game, a man that does a great job for the Vegas Hats and Information Network with his show, The Nightcap. That'd be Tim Murray. Coming up next, we're going to be talking to him about the Washington Nationals, the landscape of the National League East, and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always great to get on this guest because he does absolutely terrific work when it comes to the Vegas Ads and Information Network. You're able to hear him on the nightcap. That is from 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time if you're out there on the East Coast. That begins at 10 p.m. Eastern time. That goes until 1 a.m. Eastern time. So pretty much you get two days for the price of one's worth of content from Tim Murray every Monday through Friday. So he does absolutely terrific work. You're able to follow him on Twitter at the number one Tim Murray. And Tim, always great to get you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, GP. Anytime, man. First things first, I know that you're a man that you spent many years out there in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and it's been a little bit of a rough go of it for the Nationals. Now, they were able to get a good start out of Patrick Corbin a couple days ago, but what are you making out of this team right now? Because with Juan Soto on the injured list, I think that it makes it a little bit more difficult. And what's really intriguing about this team is that we always talk about the bullpen being such an issue with the Nationals. It doesn't seem to be the weak link right now. It actually seems to be some of those back end of the rotation starters because really other than Scherzer and when he's on his game, Patrick Corbin, you don't have a lot else with this team aside from, I will throw out there, Joe Ross, who's been very good this year. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of in a Jekyll and Hyde situation with the rotation because Patrick Corbin, as you mentioned, was tremendous. His most recent start went six scoreless against the Cardinals. But prior to that, his first two starts were horrible. And, you know, Max Scherzer has been pretty solid. Obviously, Steven Strasburg is on the IL. He threw from, you know, 75 feet on Wednesday. So it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get back. I, you know, the biggest thing, GP, with the Nats is just the lack of depth really everywhere. You mentioned the bullpen. The bullpen, surprisingly, to your point, is a bit of a positive. Tanner Rainey makes me a lot a very nervous there. Came in in the seventh inning, was all over the place in that win against the Cardinals. Brad Hand is, has been as, as good as advertised. That's a positive there, but this is a, a Nats roster that's thin. You look up and down the lineup, it, it just doesn't really make you all that nervous, especially with the absence of Juan Soto. I mean, you're talking about one of the best bats in all of the game. Victor Robles has struggled. They've yanked him out of the leadoff spot. Look at their offseason acquisitions, Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell. Those two have struggled. Josh Bell had a big home run the other day, which was maybe a resurgence for him. The drafting has been very uh, weak and They've obviously the past couple of years been going all in to win and they won the World Series. So at the end of the day, it works out. But a lot of these first round picks, it just haven't panned out. Carter Keyboom is not with the team right now. He was thought to be the starting third baseman. And then they have to last minute kind of change that up. So the depth in the lineup, the lack of big bats. I ultimately didn't pull the trigger just because of the possibility of the starting pitching being exceptional, but I, I thought under 84 was the way to go when you looked at their win total in the preseason GP, because you mentioned the starting rotation, the back end is worrisome. Well, if one of those guys goes down, like we've seen with you know Steven Strasburg, they're calling up Paolo Espino, a 34-year-old who's you know, made a handful of appearances in the major leagues. Their farm system is really banged up. They seem to like Austin Voth in the long roll. So long-winded answer. I don't have much trust in this national team, especially when you look at that division. I know the Braves have gotten off to a, a poor start, but I certainly trust the Braves much more than the Nats. So I think it's going to be a shaky year for Washington. I agree with you. I think that it's going to be just a little bit difficult out there in that division in general, as we do have Tim Murray joining me on the podcast, because the Mets, despite the fact that they haven't been hitting the first 12 or so games of the season, they've gotten off to a nice start. They began the year seven and four. You talk about the Atlanta Braves. You know that at some point this team is going to wind up hitting, especially when they get back Ronald Acuna Jr. is right now dealing with an injury he's missed last couple of days. And then when you take a look at what you're able to get out of even the Miami Marlins, do I think that they're going to be making the playoffs again? No, but at the same time, this isn't the old Miami Marlins that were going out there losing 100-plus games every single season. So I take a look at the NL East in general. I think it might be one of the toughest divisions out there in baseball. And the Nationals, they're just lagging behind because they've got some good top-end talent, but the guys in between just aren't necessarily up to snuff. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that's the big issue. You look at some of these organizations that are thriving, like the Braves, like the Dodgers and the Padres. Going back to, you know, how this whole thing started for the Nats, their run of, you know, six, seven years of very solid baseball. A lot of those guys were homegrown. You, you were able to go in and find Juan Soto. Look, Juan Soto in 2019 or 2018, whenever it was, was not thought of that highly, but you had this guy in your farm system that was raking. You bring him up and he excels, and now he's one of the most feared hitters in baseball. Victor Robles is homegrown. But right now, there's just not a whole lot there in the organization, and that has to make you worried. So baseball is a sport that you know you can thrive with big bats, but you need that depth because we know it's a journey of attrition. And if you start getting banged up, like we've seen already with the Nats, they open the year with a handful of players on the COVID list, including Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber and Patrick Corbin. So that was a massive loss to the start of the season. And, you know, Jan Gomes and Alex Avila, a ton of guys were, were lost there. Then you get Steven Strasburg put on the IL. Then you get Juan Soto put on the IL. Yeah, the Nats can cry, woe is me. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to weather the storm. And I, I just don't know that this team is just deep enough. That's what makes me worried. You know, I heard a lot of people in the, the preseason talking about, you know, this rotation. And I agree, you know, on paper, it's terrific with Corbin Scherzer and Strasburg and then a flyer on John Lester. Well, we haven't seen John Lester yet. He's still you know, banged up. He had a scare, some emergency surgery in, in spring training. So I like the signing of John Lester. It was worth the risk, but you had to recognize that something like this could happen. 
and he could be unavailable for some time during the year. So, you know, that's the biggest question with the Nats is, is just are they able to weather that storm? I agree with you. I do think that if you're able to get John Lester up and running, that'll be good. But at the same time, John Lester, even when he was at his full forces last season, wasn't necessarily the world's greatest pitcher as he had some big inconsistencies to say the least. And when you take a look at what we've all got on the board for Thursday, I do think that we've got some very intriguing games. No doubt it's a little bit of a shorter slate, but you do have quite a few teams that are out there in the NLEs that are going to be doing battle. I'm very intrigued by a team that I was mentioning a little bit earlier, the New York Mets on the road against the Chicago Cubs, another team that has seen better days. And for the New York Mets, this is a team that they, like I said, have not necessarily been hitting Going into yesterday, they were hitting right around at 241, but long ball was really lacking. Only seven home runs so far this season, but the pitching for this team in general is really there. And then when you take a look at the Chicago Cubs, they're somehow, some way going into last night's action seven and nine, despite hitting a buck 89. If you're hitting a buck 89 as a collective, you probably should have like two wins right now, but here are the Chicago Cubs. And I take a look at this one with Joey Lucchese going for the Mets. And I do think that it's going to be interesting to see if the Mets are able to get a little bit of production out of him because I do feel like they've got one of the best rotations out there in baseball. No doubt. Jacob deGrom, absolutely tremendous. You've got Marcus Stroman who's looking great. I do think that you're going to be able to get Noah Syndergaard back when it really matters, which is going to be big. And if you're able to get a couple good starts out of someone like a Joey Lucchese, someone that we saw yesterday in David Peterson, this is a team that I think has a chance to not only be able to win the NL East, but perhaps give a little bit of chase to a team like the Padres as one of those top three teams out there in the National League. When the Francisco Lindor trade unfolded in the offseason, you know, I remember being on with our friend Matt Newmans on My Guys in the Desert, and I like the addition of Carlos Carrasco. Now, I know he's dealing with his injuries, and I don't think he's expected back until some point in May, but like you said, you bring back Noah Syndergaard, you bring back Carlos Carrasco. I mean, Carlos Carrasco last year was terrific. So if you can get him at some level of what he was last year, where he had you know a sub-three ERA GP, this Mets team, as a fan of a team in the NL East, it's enjoyable to see their struggles at times. But when you look at Jacob deGrom, who, you know, every single night, you know, he just goes out there and does what he always does, which is just absolute deal. He may not be no Corbin Burns right now, but he's pretty consistent. Marcus Stroman has been pitching exceptionally well. And Taiwan Walker has been solid, too. So if you can kind of weather the storm and have that three-headed monster, and then you bring back Syndergaard, you bring back Carlos Carrasco, this is a really interesting team. And then, you know, offensively, Lindor is not going to hit under the Mendoza line as the year goes on. So that's going to turn around, right? You look at Pete Alonso, only two home runs. Right now, if you're the Mets, despite the struggles at the plate, as you mentioned, you have to be pretty happy because baseball is the ultimate sport of the law of averages. What you are, you're usually going to be around that. Francisco Lindor is not a 171 hitter. Pete Alonso is not a 18 home run type of guy. Michael Conforto doesn't have a home run yet this year. So I think this is a team that seems to be in good shape. And if you can get some solid starts out of out of your four or five spot until you know, the big boys come back. Yeah, the Mets are dangerous, man. I totally agree with you. As we do have Tim Murray, another man who's dangerous because he does absolutely terrific work <laughs> on the Vegas Hats and Information Network, joining me right here on the podcast. And then when I take a look at Thursday's action as well, you've got a couple other intriguing games out there, and you've got the big one with the Padres and the Dodgers being the headliner. Now, it's not necessarily the headliner pitching matchup because, well, you do have Walker Beeler. It's going to be going at it for the Dodgers. You do have Ryan Weathers on the mound for the Padres. Now, this is a guy that I think is going to be a stud, and he has pitched quite well so far this year. Nine and two-thirds innings. He's only allowed one run, but you got to figure that he's not necessarily going to be long for this game. But I'm so fascinated to see how this series winds up playing out because we remember the series last week between the Dodgers and the Padres had a playoff feel to it. It was absolutely Mm -hmm. tremendous. And with the Padres, if there is one aspect in which they might be able to outkick the Dodgers in, it is the bullpen because Kenley Jansen, though he was able to get a save a couple days ago against the Seattle Mariners, that is certainly a little bit suspect. And for the Padres, I believe that they lead the National League in terms of bullpen ERA. So I think that this is going to be a great matchup and just a great series in general. Yeah, I mean, last weekend was great for baseball. You know, you, me, your listeners, we're all baseball fans, right? So get a series like that this early in the year 
with fans in the stands, the excitement there, all of that was huge. A little bit of uh, disdain from those teams. I don't know about you, GP. I'm dumbfounded right now. You know, I've been watching, and I'm sure you have too, with your beloved Brewers. I, I, you know, I watched past, you know, two nights earlier this week, and, you know, Corbin Burns was was unbelievable yet again. Woodruff, that's not an easy task for an opponent to face. And then you look at the back end of the Brewers bullpen, but... Man, a lineup of Hosmer, Machado, Profar, Myers, Fam. I know Tatis is just coming back, but you would just expect a little bit more production out of that lineup. And, and Hosmer's got good numbers this year. And I think Machado, if you look at, you know, percentage of balls hit hard, he's way up there. But going up against Walker Bueller, he's one of my favorite pitchers in the game. So when you look at Weathers, who's been good, the Dodgers are always so expensive, right? They're, you know, minus $1.75 right now in offshore shops. And they're just going to get bet because they always do in Las Vegas in their home. Yeah, you know, I'm curious about this game. You mentioned the, the Padres bullpen. Is this an underlook because of the struggle offensively? Weathers is solid, and then you can actually trust in that Padres bullpen a little bit. You know, the Padres have been one of the more teams hitting to the under. A burn start. I mean, McKinney makes that catch in, in left field, and if you had an over ticket, man, that was devastating because that thing closed at six and a half. The game finishes six nothing, but the Padres have really struggled offensively. So. Yeah, I guess I would look under. Uh, if you can get a decent price, if there's an eight out there, maybe that's something you get intrigued about. But what makes you worried, as I'm sure you've talked about on your pod here, GP, is when you're playing an under with the Dodgers and you've got Kenley Jansen closing out a game, that's never going to make Ooh. you feel very warm and fuzzy. Yeah, not at all. Even with Cody Bellinger out of the lineup for the Dodgers, this is still a very fearsome lineup as well. Yeah. So good point there, as we do have Tim Murray joining me right here on the podcast. And Tim, when you take a look at Thursday's action in general, is there another game or two that might be standing out to you? Because we went through the Cubs versus the Mets. You've got the Padres versus the Dodgers and. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you've got the two top teams in the American League and the Mariners and the Red Sox going at it. <laughs> You'd think maybe the Yankees and the Indians would be that game, but nope. Instead, it's the Mariners versus the Red Sox. But anything else really jumping out at you for this Thursday? The team that is so fascinating is the Cincinnati Reds, man. They're just mashing. And is this a team that we just keep looking at? You know, I know they had their their game the other day, what, suspended due to snow. They've come down a little bit to earth here. They're still, you know, what, tied for first in the NL Central. So I think things are starting to subside here. But I just can't get enough of this Reds team. They're a ton of fun to watch. Looking at a total of eight and a half, it's a day game. So I'd be curious to see the Reds uh, against Arizona early game on Thursday. I agree with you because the Reds, they've been doing an absolutely superb job of being able to get runs at home. They're averaging right around eight-ish runs per game. On the road, it's been a little bit different than the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, it's been a little bit tough sledding for them, but a man that never experiences tough sledding because he does a great job with a little bit of everything. That'd be you, Tim. It's always great to hear you on the Vegas Ads and Information Network. You're now doing the nightcap 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time, Eastern That is 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. I know that you do a wide variety of other things as well. So let the good people at home know how they're able to follow along on social media and how they're able to get your work just pretty much across all platforms. Yeah, as you mentioned, the nightcap each and every weekday night from late night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, so 7 to 10 Pacific. So if you're at Circa, come and stay hello. And then I'm in your hood every morning, every weekday morning on the Bob and Brian show on 1029 The Hog there in Milwaukee. Talking some sports. Yeah, appreciate it as always, GP. And certainly look forward to catching up down the road, man. I agree. And it is always great to have Mr. Murray on in the great state of Wisconsin. He brings it everywhere he goes and he brought it on the podcast today. So big thanks to Tim Murray for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the Thursday MLB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to Tim Murray doing great work over there with the Vegas Hats and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. That's where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, then we've got one interleague game, and it's time order when it comes to being broken down by division as well. So that's how we keep things nice, clean, and easy on this. And we are going to be beginning with 901-902 on the betting board, which 
switches the Arizona Diamondbacks in their own faceoff against the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they are on to having Jeff Hoffman as their starter. Meanwhile, Taylor Widener is going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. If you're looking at the D-backs, going to be getting a plus price here, anywhere between plus 128 and plus 134. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cincinnati Reds, going to be finding them anywhere between minus 139 and minus 150. I do think that the Reds have a nice advantage here when it comes to the line up as you've been able to get quite a few guys that have been able to match for this team. Nick Cassianos, whenever he's not suspended, he's always been able to do a tremendous job for this team. You've got Eugenio Suarez, who's not necessarily getting on from a batting average perspective, but he's a guy that, as we know, he's got the power numbers. I think that he's going to be just fine moving forward. Even a guy like a Jonathan India has been able to get on base for this team. And you take a look at the catcher spot in general for this team. It's been absolutely superb. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've been without the Marte Parte. Cattell Marte being out of the fold for this team has really hurt them. You do have a couple guys that are able to give you a little bit of something in the lineup. I do like what you're able to get out of Eduardo Escobar from a power perspective. Perspective. Six home runs going into yesterday's, I guess you could call it game and a half with them. Pavin Smith, Cole Calhoun, they're both hitting right around at 265. But this is a team that right now, they're dealing with some ailments of their own. Christian Walker has not been able to hit all season long. So that has been an issue for them. Tim LoCastro currently on the 10-day injured list. And then when you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, you currently have Mike Moussakis who's injured as well. But this is still a team that at home is averaging right around eight runs per game. You've got RDC De Sacchino who's probably going to see a couple more at back in the coming days. He's a guy that's able to get on him. For the Cincinnati Reds, bullpen wound up getting used up a little bit the game plus that we wound up seeing yesterday but you still have faith in guys like Amir Garrett. I still think that Sionel Perez is going to be able to give the team something along Lucas Sims. And then for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Yohan Lopez has been a little bit up and down for the team but the bullpen isn't terrible. Someone like Kevin Ginkle is able to give you a little bit of something. Caleb Smith has actually become a very good two-inning guy for the team so I take a look at this one and I do think that you're going to get a little bit of pitching here from the Arizona Diamondbacks which is why I wind up setting them at plus 134 but if you're taking a look at the run line because I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. I set this at 9.2 so I'm going to be taking a look at the over with the Reds getting right around plus 140 that appeals to me. I was looking at anything really north of plus 130 on this one so getting the plus 140 on the run line to lay a run and half with the Reds is what I'm going to be taking. So we're going to be going with the Reds the run line and this total over 903-904 on the betting board. You've got the New York Metropolitan sitting the road face off against the Chicago Cubs. Trevor Williams is going to be going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Joey Lucchese is going to be on the bump for the Metropolitans. Your total on this game is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. On the 9, over is just minus 120. The under is even. On the 9.5, under is minus 120. And the over is even. With this being a Wrigley Field game, a lot of books are waiting to be able to put up a total on this game just because they like to gauge a win and everything like that. I can tell you right now, I set mine at 7.9, so we're going to be looking at the under, but getting back to the spread, if you're looking at the Mets, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130 with the Cubs, anywhere between plus 107 and plus 120. I do think that you're actually getting a little bit of value here with the Cubs. With Trevor Williams, he actually led the MLB in ERA post-All-Star break in 2018, so he's someone that has been able to surge a little bit, and he's had a couple okay look so far this season. It's just been a little bit of a rough go over the last couple years for him, but you take a look at Joey Lucchese. This is someone that in his first start wound up giving up five hits and five innings. He's not a walker guy, so that's all, but he is someone that has been known to give up a little bit too much hurt contact, so that is something that I am keeping in mind as he's given up right around a home run and a half per nine innings throughout his career, so that's a little bit of a tough go of it. Meanwhile, with Trevor Williams, he's issued seven walks in 14 in the third inning, so you've got pretty much opposite of problems there with the New York Mets. This is a team that we were talking about it with Tim Murray. The fact that the hitting has not necessarily been able to get going for this team. You've got Jeff McNeil along with Francisco Lindor, Michael Comforto, Kevin Pillar, all inning below the Mendoza line two under, but J.D. Davis has been able to bust out along with Brandon Nimmo. Both of these guys are hitting above a 400. You got Lindor going for his first home run of the season yesterday, so that's something nice. And for the Cubs, this is a team that they entered into yesterday, hitting below 200 as a collective. Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, they've done their part, and nobody else has been able to do theirs, but I will say this for the Chicago Cubs. Bullpen has actually been rock solid for this team. Craig Kimbrell is looking like the Craig Kimbrell of old. Ryan Tavares is someone that I really don't trust him, but Dan Winkler, I don't think, has given up an earned run so far this year. You've been able to get something out of Rex Brothers, and then when you take a look at the Metropolitans, you always have to be a little bit aware of that bullpen because I do think that they're going to need to fill quite a few innings when you've got guys like Robert Gazelman, Trevor Heidenberg, Jurisic Familia, Spanish for blown save, Miguel 
Fidel Castro, Jacob Barnes. It's something that you can't necessarily put a lot of stock into. Now, I do think that with the wind, it's going to be blowing out just a tad from what I'm seeing. It's not necessarily going to have too much of a factor in this one. I take a look at two light inning teams, though. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something going here. I think that the Cubs' bullpen is going to be better in this one, which is why I set them as a very, very, very slight favorite of minus one or two. So, getting a plus price here, that appeals to me. We're going to be taking the Cubs, and I'm going to be taking this total under as well. 905-906 on the betting board. You've got the Miami Marlins, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Aron Sanchez is going to be going for the Yantes. Meanwhile, you've got Dan Castano, who's going to be going for the Miami Marlins. Marlins are finding themselves as underdogs here, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 132. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Yantes, that's anywhere between minus 135 and minus 145. Total is 8 over and under, both at minus 110. For Sanchez, in three starts, he's actually been very good. 14 and two-thirds innings, he's allowed one home run and four walks. With Sanchez throughout his career, walks have been just such a big issue for him. Throughout his career, Career, right around four walks per nine innings has been his career mark. Actually, doesn't give up a lot of a lot of hard contact, so I actually think that San Francisco suits him very well. And for Castano, in his first start of the year, wound up giving up one run in five innings, so he looked very good there. That was against this very same Giants team. Now, I do think that the Giants are going to be able to figure him out a little bit more in this one, but you take a look at this Miami Marlins team. They have been able to do a good job of being able to get on base. Jace Chisholm, Miguel Rojas, Jesus Aguiar, Corey Dickerson, all guys hitting at least a 295 for this team. All guys, aside from Dickerson, have a 385 on base or better as well. Adam Duvall only getting a 225, but he's been able to give you a little bit of power. Now, Lewis Brinson is Lewis Brinson. You can't expect anything out of him, but by and large, this is a Miami team that does a good job of being able to reach base. Meanwhile, for the Giants, the main kryptonite of this team has been their offense. Uh, they were able to get things going in that series against Philadelphia, but you've still got Mikey Stremski getting below the Mendoza line. Wilmer Flores, Brandon Crawford, Mauricio Dubon, Brandon Belt, along Darren Ruff, Austin Slater, all hitting a 216 or worse. Now, Tommy LaSalle, along with Evan Longoria, both hitting between a 280 and a 290. Buster Posey hitting above a 300, so he's been able to do a solid job. And for the Giants, bullpen has been relatively solid this year. I do expect a little bit of regression here. They are currently without Reyes Moranta. I do think that you're going to be seeing Matt Whistler and his ugly head rear itself as he's not someone that necessarily does a great job out of the bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, you've got a lot of reliable arms. Now, Richard Blyer is someone that's going to give up a couple deep balls, but I do like what you're able to get out of guys like Adam Simber, John Curtis, Dylan Floro, even Ayimi Garcia. So, they've got a lot of options there. When I take a look at this one, I do think that the Miami Marlins should be a little bit of an underdog in this spot. I want to say them at plus 154 because I just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of Castano. I do think that the bullpen is going to be relatively solid, but I do think that the Giants are starting to find a little bit more of an offensive niche. And I do think that the return of Sanchez. Someone who a few years ago was very good in 2019 was absolutely terrible, but he looks to be at old form, should be able to get it done. I wound up setting the Giants at minus 154 in this spot. If you're taking a look at the run line, I'm seeing it at between plus 145 and plus 150. I wound up setting this one to where if I was getting right around like plus 125, it would be a take. So I think that that's good value. Going to be taking this total over and the Giants on the run line. 907, 908 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing us to the San Diego Padres. You've got Ryan Weather is going to be on the bump for the pods. Meanwhile, Walker Buehler is on the bump for the Dodgers. Total on this game is all over the place. William Hill has a 9 with the under at minus 115 and the over at minus 105. I'm seeing 7 and a half. Over is just at minus 120 and the under is even. And then we got some 8s with the over and under both at minus 110. So this is all over the place. If you've got that 9, I recommend you taking it under because that is some very good value. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Padres on the money line, it's anywhere between plus 151 and plus 168. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with the Dodgers, that's anywhere between minus 173 and minus 185. Even if you just have the generic 7.5 slash 8, I'd be taking it under. I want to say this total at 6.6. And with the Padres, woes with regards to offense. Not necessarily getting on base, but being able to drive them in. I do think that that is very appealing. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. has been missing throughout much of the year. He wound up getting a day off a few days ago. Even if he winds up playing in this game, I don't think it makes any sort of an impact. And as a matter of fact, he's actually been a detriment to the Padres instead of a benefit. You take a look at the guys that are getting on base for the Padres, though. You've got quite a few guys hitting in that neighborhood of about a 300. Eric Cosmer, Trent Grisham, now Manny Machado, only in 261, but at 388 on base, he's been able to do a good job of being able to supply some hard contact. Jerickson Profar has been able to draw some walks. Will Myers has been able to do a solid job, but Victor Carantini not holding up his end of the bar again. Hasem Kim has had a little bit of a tough time as well, along Tommy Pham. And then you take a look at the Dodgers. This is a team that's also banged up. Cody Bellinger is currently on the 10-day injured list along with Gavin Lux, but you know what you're going to be able to get out of so many 
many of these contests, especially out there in the outfield. Chris Taylor has been able to do a pretty rock-solid job for this team. He's got a 373 on base, and you take a look at the entire lineup that wound up playing against the Seattle Mariners, each other top five hitters, and this was without Cody Bellinger, along with Mookie Betts in the fold, a 370 or greater on base. So, I think that that's something that appeals to you. Will Smith has been able to do a good job. Heck, Zach McKinstry has come on, and he's looked solid. Now, I was mentioning it with our good buddy, Tim Murray. The fact that if you do have a little bit of kryptonite with the Dodgers, it is a bullpen. Now, you've got quite a few guys that are able to give you multiple innings because they used to be starters. Guys like Jimmy Nelson, David Price, you can get back Bursuit or Gratterall, which is good, but I take a look at the Padres. This bullpen has been lights out. You acquire Mark Melanson in the offseason. That's absolutely tremendous. Now, Dan Altavia looks like he's on the injured list right now, so you're not going to have his services, but you got guys like Emilio Pagan, a guy like a Craig Stammen is able to give you something. And with Weathers, he is someone that I think is going to be able to weather the storm. Nine and two-thirds innings so far. Them bunch outs he wanted making his first career start against the Dodgers. Three and two-thirds innings. Did not give up any runs. He was on a short leash in that one. I do think that he'll probably give you like four-ish and then you go to the bullpen from there. And for Beeler, this is someone that last year was just vastly different home to road. On the road last year, he actually wasn't too stellar, but you take a look at what he was able to do at home last season. 131 ERA in four starts. He wound up in 20 and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single home run. Punched out 29. So far this year at home, he's picked up right where he's left off. So I do think that you're going to be able to get a good start here. But when you take a look at this one, I do think that the Dodgers might be just a little bit too heavily taxed. We have seen the Dodgers have a little bit of a tough time on offense recently. So I do think that that's going to be holding them back a little bit. I wound up saying the Dodgers at minus 178. So I do think that this is a little bit of a horse of peace situation in this spot. You take a look at the run line, though. You're able to get it at a relatively good price. I'm seeing the run line here as high as a plus 117. I was looking at this. Anything at 115 or greater was going to be a take for me on this. So I want to take the Dodgers on the run line just to be able to avoid the juice just because with Weathers, I could see them having a little bit of a blow up start. I would rather do that. Then take a chalky money line, especially with the Dodgers being a team that has won over half their games by two plus runs. So I'm going to wind up taking the total under, and I'm going to be taking the run line here with the Dodgers. We move on to 909-910 on the betting board. It is the New York Yankees who are going to be hitting the road to face off against Cleveland Indians. Right now, it's to be determined for the Cleveland Indians. I was seeing Jordan Montgomery. It seems as though he might get Domingo Herman returning for them, though. And it's going to be Aaron Savali for the Cleveland Indians. As a result of the uncertainty, this is a game that's presently off the board. I want up setting this as if we were going to be getting Jordan Montgomery, and with Montgomery, I set him at plus 123. If Domingo or Mom winds up going for the Yankees, I'm going to be downgrading them by at least 15 cents. I probably have them more in that plus 140 range. This is a total that I have initially set at 8.1 with Montgomery out there. If it winds up being Armand, probably still going to be looking right around 8.3, 8.4, so anything above an 8.5 would be a look at the under, but that is a little bit subject to change because we do want to know who is actually going to be pitching for the Yankees who winds up all going out there in the bullpen for the Yankees as well because keep in mind, the Cleveland Indians wound up getting rained out yesterday, which means that one of their strengths, the bullpen, it is going to be very well rested. you got guys like James Karinczak who are going to be at the ready. you got a guy like Brian Shaw, Phil Maiden, all these guys are able to give you some good solid innings. And then I take a look at Savali. He's been absolutely tremendous this year. 3-0 record, 2-18 ERA. I think he's given up more than three runs in like three career starts out of 25. He has been absolutely superb. He does give up a little bit too much hard contact, but this is also a guy that he winds up giving up right around two and a half walks per nine innings throughout his career. Meanwhile, you take a look at Montgomery. This is someone that he's got 18 punch outs and 17 innings. That's a lot for home runs, though. And Domingo Ramon, if you wind up getting him, he's just been an abject disaster. So you want absolutely no part of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at the U- New York Yankees. Going into yesterday, I think that they had broken the four run plateau in just two of their games so far this season. I mean, it is absolutely insane. DJ LeMay was able to get on base for this team. He's sitting just below a three. Gio Urshela has been able to hit right around a 275-280 as well. Aaron Judge is able to give you a little bit of something, but Aaron Judge is not necessarily hitting for power. John Carlos saying he's hitting well below the Mendoza line along Flavor Torres. Aaron Hicks has been just absolutely terrible. Clint Frazier, he's not able to get on base as well. And for the Cleveland Indians, we talk about their offensive struggles, but at the very least, they're able to generate a little bit of something. You've had Jose Ramirez having struggles so far this year at a 224. You've got Cesar Hernandez hitting below the Mendoza line, but Framil Reyes has been able to hit right around at 275. He's been able to give you a quadrant of home runs. You've got Roberto Perez who's giving you three home runs. Not necessarily a lot of batting averages. He, Amit Rosario, along Yu Chang are all hitting below a 220, but even someone like 
a Josh Naylor has been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. He's been able to give you four home runs, so I do think that that's a big advantage for this Indian team and for the Yankees. They did wind up having to use up quite a bit of their bullpen because they were unable to get five innings out of Mr. Corey Kluber, so that is something that certainly hurts up. That is why I'm leading the way that I am right now if it winds up being Montgomery, looking at the Yankees more on plus 123. If it's going to be Vermont more in that neighborhood of plus 140, and what that means is that I'd be willing to lay up to minus 140 with the Indians and with Montgomery more around minus 123 with the Indians. Obviously, check back in the morning with my Twitter feed at Jaren Squirty1, but that's where I lean there. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the Boston Red Sox, and they're going to be playing host the Seattle Mariners. Justin Gator Dunn is going to be going for the M's. Meanwhile, Nick Pavetta is on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox, a very sizable favorite here. Anywhere between minus 161 and minus 182. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Seattle is anywhere between plus 144 and plus 155. Totals 9.5. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and even. And when I take a look at this one, I wound up setting this total at 10.2. I do think that we're going to get runs of plenty in this game. It's just hard to trust in either of these pitchers. Now, Nick Bavetta has been able to have a very nice go of it so far this year. And Justin Dunn has looked relatively solid himself. But what you fear with Justin Dunn is the walks. 10 walks and 9 and 2 thirds innings. Always been an issue from Nick Pavetta. 11 walks and 14 and 2 thirds innings. So both of these guys are sort of like the Spider-Man gif in which you're pointing at each other because both have given up just one home run so far this year. And you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. They finally have gotten Kyle Lewis back at the fold. He wound up not necessarily looking so sharp in his first game of the year against the LA Dodgers. But let's face it, he was going up against the LA Dodgers. So I'm going to be willing to write that off a little bit. But Mitch Hanniger is hitting above a 300 along Ty France. France was having a little bit of an injury scare. He looks to be good, although I will say for the Seattle Mariners, they are having quite a few guys that they need to pick it up. Tom Murphy, Evan White, Luis Torrance, Taylor Trammell, along with Dylan Moore. All guys hitting at 200 or worse for this team. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, you've got pretty much everyone firing all cylinders for the team at this point. You've got J.D. Martinez, who has been absolutely terrific. He has been able to hit just above a 350. He's been able to give the team six home runs. Rafael Devers is hitting just below a 300. He's got five home runs. Xander Bogart, he is threatening 400 at this point. Marwin Gonzalez has been a little bit of an issue, but Bobby Dahlbeck has been able to pick it up recently, along with Kike Hernandez. For the Red Sox, you do have to fear that the bullpen is going to start to look like the bullpen that we were expecting. You got guys like Matt Barnes, Austin Bryce, Darwinson Hernandez, Hurakazu Sawamura, who are all needing to give the team big innings. And for the Seattle Mariners, the bullpen, I feel like, has really pitched above its head a little bit as well. I mean, I do like Will Vest, Drew Steckenrider, and guys like this. And I really do think that Rafael Montero is able to do a solid job, but you're also relying upon Kendall Graveman for big innings. So there is that aspect of it as well. So I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a higher scoring game. But Nick Pavetta being this big of a favorite to me just seems like it's a little bit too much. I do think that overall, the Red Sox are probably going to finish up the year a little bit better than the Mariners, but I do think that this Mariners team does have a little bit of staying power. I want to saying them as more around a plus 132-ish underdog, so getting them north of 150, we're going to be taking the Mariners in the spot, and I'm going to be taking this total over as well. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board is my New York Post for the day as the LA Angels hit the road face off against the Houston Astros. Christian Avier is going to be going for the Astros. Meanwhile, Alex Cobb is on the bump for the Angels. Your total on this game is 9. Over and under, anywhere between even and minus 120. So you got your choice there with the Astros. You're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 120 minus 130. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Angels is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115. The total I wound up giving out is the under. That is the New York Post play of the day with Christian Avier. He has been absolutely tremendous in his 14 career appearances, 12 career starts at the big league level. He punches out right around 9 per 9 innings. This is someone that he does get a little bit careless sometimes with the walks, but he's done a great job of being able to limit contact in general. 6 hits per 9 innings, giving up. Meanwhile, Alex Cobb, he's been able to do a good job of being able to limit our contact as well so far this year. One home run, giving up in 11 and 2 thirds innings. He's given up just 2 walks and punched out 17 now. Swing and miss stuff is probably not going to be there, but as we know with the Houston Astros, this is a team that they're right now not dating in general. They have to go from elevation as well. That is going to be affecting their bats as well. Now Michael Brantley is hitting a 302 for the team. Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman between a 270 and a 285. And Yoli Gurriel still hitting a 333. But this is a team that they've been without Jose Altuve for quite a while. He might be back in this one. But even if he is back, you got to think that there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period for him being back in the fold. Meanwhile, for the Angels, this is a team that they've obviously got quite a few guys who are able to give you home runs. Joey Otani, Mike Trout, Jared Walsh, Justin Upton, at least four of them for each. And the only guy that's not really hitting above a 300 out of those 
those four is Justin Upton. So if you got something solid there, Anthony Rendon has right around a 380 on base. He's obviously been missing for quite a bit of the season, but David Fletcher has been able to pick it up a little bit more along with Jose Iglesias. Meanwhile, you take a look at the bullpen of the Angels. It's actually been relatively rock solid. It's right around like the middle-ish part of the MLB, which is better than I thought it was going to be. Guys like Steve Ciszek, even a guy like a Junior Guerra have been able to come in. They've been able to hold down the fourth. And for the Houston Astros, you've got Inoli Paredes, who is currently at the full. But you still have someone like a Ryan Presley, a Brooks Raley, that are able to give you solid innings. Ryan Stanek is a little bit up and down. But Brandon Belak has been able to form himself as a multi-inning guy. I think that both of these starters are going to be able to give you something. And with the Houston Astros, this is the team that is generating the second fewest runs per game at home of any team out there in the big leagues. Right around 3.2 per contest. The only team that is worse is the Texas Rangers. So the New York Post play today is the under. And when it comes to the spread in this one, I want to say the Astros as a minus 133 favorite. So we're going to be taking the Astros on the money line to go along with that under. And we wrap things up with 915-916 on the bang board. The Detroit Tigres are going to be playing us to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh is right now to be determined. It looks like it's going to be JT Burbaker though. Meanwhile, Jose Yarena is going to be going for the Detroit Tigers with the mystery surrounding the Pirates. Currently, this is a game that is off the board, but with this one, I want up saying the total of 8.7. I want to make the Pirates a minus 139 favorite because with the Detroit Tigers, you got your worst starter out there, and Mr. Yarena. I mean, he had a good start in his last going, but I just have absolutely no faith in them whatsoever. Now, you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. This is a bullpen that is dead last out there in the big leagues as well. Brian Garcia and Gregory Soto have been okay, but both of those guys wound up getting used up yesterday. Now, Jonathan Scope finally got a home run for the team. His first of the campaign, but he, Victor Reyes, Robbie Grossman, along Nico Goodrum and Grayson Griner, all aiming a 210 or lower for this team. That's not necessarily too terrific. Akil Badu, whenever he's been out there, he's been great. Four home runs and a game-winning hit for him so far this season. And Jameer Candelari is able to give you a bit of something, but don't look now, but here comes the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup. you got Philip Evans, Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier, along Colin Moran and Eric Gonzalez, which is your top five hitters from game two of the double dip that they wound up having yesterday, all hitting at least a 275 for this bunch. Now, Gregory Palunco along with Dustin Feller. Both of these guys have been a little bit rough around the edges, to say the least, and this is a bullpen of the Pittsburgh Pirates that's not necessarily so trustworthy itself, but they did a good job of using, I would call it their lesser arms yesterday, as Clay Holmes is someone that's not going to be able to use. Now, you did use up Kyle Crick and Richard Rodriguez, both for about 13 to 14 pitches yesterday, so it's conceivable that you could have them wind up coming back. Sam Howard is someone that you're going to be able to look to. Sean Poppin, he's not great, but at the same time, he's able to give you something, and Dwayne Underwood is someone that's able to give you multiple innings as well, so I do think that that's very appealing with the Pittsburgh Pirates and for Burbaker. He is low-key one of the better starters that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. He has been absolutely superb this year. Showed good stuff last season. He's got a buck 76 ERA, 15 and a third innings, 18 strikeouts, only giving up one home run. I do like the way that he's pitching, which is why I've got the Pirates right around a minus 139 favorite. And if you're taking a look at a total in this one, I do think that because both of these bullpens got tags, it is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game, but wound up setting this total at 8.7. So, anything an 8.5 or lower is going to be a take on the over. 9 or above would be a take on the under. So, that's where I stand there, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Thursday. A big thanks to Tim Murray of the Vegas Ads and Information Network for joining me on last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire in questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at Jerry's41. Keep in mind those letters DM. They mean does not matter. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send you questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you to there. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. I will come and hit you guys once again tomorrow as I will every day throughout the MLB season. And hopefully you're all doing well and being profitable. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll tell you guys once again tomorrow.